Thank you, Jordan. Jordan, if you were nervous at all, you didn't seem it. Amen. Good morning. Welcome to 6-8. Uh, i got to get this thing up. I, um, I had something I wanted to say to you. You know me. It goes right out of my head. My thing's not working. Okay. Uh, we are in this series uh, talking about our purpose as believers, as the people of God, and as the church. And we've been doing this for a few weeks, and we've been using every week uh, looking at a personality um, from the scriptures. We looked at uh, Peter, I think, and Moses, and Nehemiah, and people like that uh, over the last few weeks. And today we're going to go from, the, from John, what John wrote in his gospel. But let me pray before we get into that. Father, we thank you for this morning. And we ask that your spirit would rest on this place in a powerful and even authoritative way. That you would speak this morning, that you would uh, make your presence known to us. We pray for your divine presence over and above all else. And we pray that that presence would drive away anything, whether it be just our own uh, fleeting thoughts, uh, distracting thoughts, or even spiritual um, powers that would seek to keep us from understanding what you're saying to us or bring confusion to the room or bring anger or bitterness to the room. We pray that you would silence all those voices, that your presence would push everything out of this room right now, and that we could just enjoy a few moments with you listening to what you say from your word. So speak loudly to us. Come, Holy Spirit. Anoint us this morning with your presence. Amen. It's nice to be quiet a little bit. When do we ever get quiet, right? Oh, gosh. I am a little bit scatterbrained. What's that? Oh, 9 a.m. prayer. What? Oh, yeah. Come to 9 a.m. prayer. Then you'll get some quiet. Plug in our system. Um, You had your chance. Two weeks ago, you spoke. No, I'm just kidding. Um, Yeah, thank you, uh, Chuck, for doing that. Thank you for Jordan for doing that. this morning we're going to look, as I said, from John, and, um, and I, want to, I want you to uh, imagine right now, if you were there at the moment of the crucifixion, that you had, you had been following Jesus for three straight years, and you had put all of your hopes in this guy. You had all these expectations, all these dreams for the future, and there you are on the day of his crucifixion when his heart stopped, the blood stopped flowing in his body, and he went limp, and he was dead. D-E-A-D, dead, right? They stuck a spear in his side. He was dead. He didn't flinch. Imagine what you had been thinking at that moment. What would you recall about the last three years? Well, if you were his mother, you might recall Simeon's prophecy at the temple when, you know, uh, about her son, right? Uh, Simon and Andrew, you might have recalled the day that he called you to become fishers of men right in the beginning of the ministry, Right? You, if you were an apostle, apostle, you would remember him healing lots of people of various diseases like leprosy or raising Lazarus from the dead or, you know, all these different, you know, feeding the five, the 5,000 and I think the 4,000, two different occasions he did that, by the way, with just a few fish and loaves, right? So twice he did that. 
You would remember him embracing tax collectors and prostitutes and other sinners, quote-unquote, which overturned your sort of thinking or your preconceived notions of people and of purity and of love and of care, right? You would remember the crowds that pressed in on him, starved for his words. Uh, The guy lowered through the roof on the mat that he healed. That was a nice story. That was a fun story. I would have done that. That would have been fun to do. Um, You would remember his quick wit with the Pharisees, how he kind of put them in their their place, and you liked that because they were kind of an arrogant bunch, right? You would remember his incredible use of words and his timeless teaching um, in the parables. You would remember probably when he calmed the storm and he walked on the water. Definitely you would remember that. You would remember when he raised that sick girl from the dead. And when he, he healed that woman from 12 years of bleeding right on the spot, you would remember his teaching on the mount and, and how profound that teaching was. Uh, if you were Peter, James, and John, you would definitely recall the transfiguration on the mount and how amazing that was. Um, you would remember his triumphal entry into Jerusalem as he rode on a donkey coming into the city, which you knew symbolized uh, his king kingship over the city, over these people in a very peaceful way, right? You would remember how he predicted his own death and his amazing claims to deity. You would remember the time he withered a fig tree with a word and he went and overturned the tables at the temple, you know, because he had this passion of what it was meant to be and they were misusing it. If you were one of the 12, you would definitely think about the uh, Last Supper, sitting up in that room, reclining together as he shared the wine and bread, which we're going to do later today, and he talked about his final sacrifice of himself and what it would mean to the world and what it would mean to you and to all those other guys present. You would remember his anguish and his bleeding uh, or, or, or sweating blood in the Garden of Gethsemane, right? And how he uh, got arrested and how he healed the ear of the guard before he went away peacefully with them. You'd recall his flogging and carrying the cross. You would remember clearly his death on that cross, how painful it was. You'd remember the rending of the curtain in the temple. You'd think about how the earth went dark for a few moments. If you were Peter you would most likely remember the three times that you just denied him, right? And the truth of the matter is that the crucifixion, at that moment, the crucifixion would have dashed every stinking hope you had ever had in this Messiah that you'd followed around, that you'd given up everything for to follow around for three years, and you had placed all your hopes on him. And imagine how deflated you would feel when he breathed his last, when his heart stopped, how, how lost you would feel, how stupid you might feel. Jesus' life demonstrates to us that God does work in mysterious and miraculous ways, that his, his thoughts are definitely higher than ours because the life and the death of Jesus are not how we would have written the story, not at all. It's not how I would have written it. In John 20, 21, Jesus said to them again, Peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And those are words that come after the resurrection where Jesus has been raised from the dead. You know, he's come back to life and he has revealed himself to hundreds of individuals, right? Including Mary, including all the disciples, restoring hope and reassuring them of God's presence in their lives, of his presence. 
And the presence of Jesus makes all the difference. Jesus was there for the disciples in the storm in the Sea of Galilee when they thought they were going to drown, right? Jesus' presence throughout the Gospels meant that nothing would ever be the same again to anybody. He had changed the game. In Matthew 7, we understand what that difference was or what it looked like. It says, when Jesus had finished this sermon, the crowds were astonished at his teaching because he was teaching them like one who had authority and not like the scribes. There was this power and this authority in Christ's teaching. Jesus was different in all ways. His presence is powerful, and, that, and at that cross, they must have really just felt that that presence dissipated, that it just left them, and they didn't know what to do. But when Jesus reappeared among the disciples, his words reflect his being, right? A being that is, uh, which comes in peace, first of all. And secondly, he reveals himself to be sent by the Father. But notice also that John 20, 21 says the same as Matthew chapter 28, 18 through 20, the Great Commission, which we've looked at quite a bit in the last few weeks. Also a post-resurrection command, Right? And as a matter of fact, is his last command our first concern? And there too, in that passage, we see him also as sent with authority, which his whole life on earth had confirmed. And in it also, he sends us out for the same purpose that we've been talking about to exhibit God's glory and share his life with all peoples, all nations of the world, all people groups of the world. The resurrected Christ, Jesus alive, with us now. Now, always with us. So what difference does the presence of Christ make in your life and your ministry? And by the way, you do have a ministry. How well that ministry is going is the question. <laughs> right? It's not just the pastor that has the ministry. You're not my ministry necessarily, just me alone. We have this ministry together. You have your own ministry that extends beyond this out into your neighbors and in your work relationships and your family and your friends and all these different people that you interact with. That is your ministry. And while you think on that question, let's consider a first thing, or a few things. Firstly, Isn't this gospel stuff just crazy foolishness? Like, who believes in a guy rising from the dead? How can you actually believe that? I mean, I don't think I'm, like, top-notch intellectually, but I'm not an idiot, right? Like, this is crazy stuff. This is crazy stuff to believe. There were two pastors who were doing an event at in Pittsburgh, and they were, they were there asking the question, why is Christianity right? They were fielding questions from the crowd, and one of them said that when he was coming to faith, and he was a pretty heady intellectual guy, and when he was coming to faith, what was important for him was to have a publicly reliable historic claim which he could verify, a publicly reliable historic claim that he could verify, something he could grab hold of and say, That's, man, that really happened. And about, about the resurrection. Have you ever played whisper down the lane where you sit in a circle of people, right? And you whisper a statement to the guy next to you and it goes all the way around the circle. And then finally, when you get to the last person, they share what the statement is. And then, then you share what you actually said. And they're two different statements and it's kind of funny to watch and hear. 
Well, it used to be thought that people simply whispered down the lane about this story of the resurrection. They came up with this crazy story of the resurrection. And over a long period of time, somebody finally wrote it down. And that's how we came up with this crazy story of Jesus rising from the dead. A hundred years ago, maybe even, like many scholars believed they would have stated that. But ever since then, that claim has been utterly demolished. If you look at 1 Corinthians 15, 3-8, it's one of the early creeds of the church. There's a list of people that Jesus appeared to after his resurrection. It says this, For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. In other words, this is the core of what we are, right? Uh, he says that Christ died for your sins according to the, cross, uh, the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, or to Peter, right? And then to the twelve, and after that he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. In other words, they passed on, right? And then he appeared to James, and then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also. So today, even the most atheistic scholar out there date that passage is written almost immediately after the resurrection event. Which explains why it is written as it is, saying that most of the people mentioned in that passage who witnessed this event, who actually walked and talked with Jesus after he rose from the dead, um, who who saw him and interacted with him, you know... uh, We're still alive, still around at the time of his writing. As if to say, if you don't believe me who's writing this, go walk down the street and find somebody that saw him and talked to him after he rose from the dead. They're still alive. And as a result, the legendary whisper down the lane theory has been all but thrown out by scholars across the board, even the most skeptical of Christianity. Since there were just there were many people at the time that, who were just convinced that they had seen and interacted with Jesus even after he had died an excruciating death on the cross. And that fact explains why what should have been this movement-ending result of Jesus' death actually result in the, the absolute opposite, an explosion of Christianity across the board in the early church. Jews now worshiping a man as God, something unbelievable for this. The Sabbath changing from Saturday to Sunday, unbelievable for this, before this, unthinkable. They must have been overwhelmingly convinced that they had seen him alive once more. That is powerful stuff. There is simply too much data, too many reliable eyewitness accounts, too many credible testimonies which testify to Jesus' resurrection from the dead. The only explanation which is taken seriously at all anymore is an actual resurrection of Christ. All other theories have been undermined to the point that they're not even considered worthy of discussion. Isn't that weird? That's weird. The resurrection of Jesus is central, of central importance to the message that we preach as Christians. It really is. Jesus' resurrection validates everything that he said and did, everything that he was. 
everything, everything that he claimed to be, all those little stories, all those things is all validated because he rose from the dead. So when you're witness in your ministry, do you focus more on a relational approach to convince people of the superiority of the, or, or, or I'm sorry, a rational approach to, to convince people of the superiority of the Christian faith, or is your reliance on God's spirit for his work in the hearts of people? The power, the authority, right? The presence of Jesus, in our ministry, the Spirit's conviction in someone's heart of this amazing story that really happened. Secondly, Jesus meets us where we are, yet he directs us towards a better future, doesn't he? Right? Jesus displays incredible grace and patience with his disciples throughout the ministry on earth, right? And even more so after his resurrection. You remember in John 21, he restores Peter by asking him the same question three times. Do you love me, Peter? Yes, you know I love you, Lord. Do you love me, Peter? Yes, you know I love you. Do you love me, Peter? Yes, you know I love you. And what did he say after every one of those? He said, then go feed my sheep. Go feed my sheep. I've been sent by the Father. I am sending you, right? He's saying the same thing. Three times he asked him that question, the same number of times that Peter denied him before the crucifixion. So many people ask me, like as a pastor, I get to hear things from people, and I, I really enjoy what I do. I love, I love pastoring people through life. And so many people ask me, how can I be a Christian if I still do X or Y? If I still struggle with this or that? (laughs) Well, by the way, I do too. (laughs) I struggle with things, right? See, there's a difference in the person who doesn't care and won't even ask that question as opposed to the person feeling a conviction of the Holy Spirit and really trying to battle with their habitual sin in life. It doesn't change that easily. We're going through a process, right? We stand in good company with people like Peter, right? We make mistakes. It's all right. We all stumble through this faith, grasping hold of the nature of grace, which has covered our sin, past, present, and future. It has covered us. Ephesians 2 confirms this. It says, God made us alive with Christ. It was done to us, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace that you've been saved through faith. This is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God so that no one can boast, right? It's something that God has done for us and in us and to us. Christ's perfect record legally covers you, clearing your unholy record before a holy God. And our only job right now is to pursue Christ as best we can, knowing that even in our failure in doing so, can't can't separate us from the love of Christ. That's Romans chapter 8. You are safe in Jesus. Jesus comforts, he encourages, he affirms, he restores us to full faith even when we feel like we've lost all hope. That's a good message. Why? Why is it like that? Because the measuring rod's been thrown out. Our connection to Christ is based only on our relationship 
right? Father to child with full assurance of God's love and passion for his children. We have full rights as sons and daughters with full rights to inherit eternal life and all the benefits of the kingdom that come with it. We've been grafted into Christ. We've been adopted as children of God. We've been made family, right? And loving fathers don't deny their children no matter how often their children screw things up. Believe me, I know this because I was a son and because I'm a father. <laughs> right? We are restored. We are made new. The old is gone. The new has come. No matter how we feel day in and day out, it doesn't matter. Feelings aren't facts. We stand on the promises of God, not just our feelings, not just our experience. Amen? Amen. You awake? <laughs> Thirdly, the, the, the mission we are sent to participate in involves the fullness of God in our lives. It really does. It involves the fullness of God in our lives. It's God's mission which is demonstrated practically for us in the life and the ministry of Jesus as we watch it unfold. We're to emulate him as, we, as we've, we're, we've watched his earthly ministry unfold, right? That, was, that as, as we go through life, right, as we, as we walk through with everybody and bumping into people and talking to people, we are demonstrating and communicating the gospel to anyone we come in contact with all the time praying for them, telling them, modeling Christ to them. We are called to embody this mission in the same spirit, with the same heart and same commitment as Jesus himself. Philippians chapter 2, right? Again, knowing that we reside under the grace of God at all times, covering all of our failures, covering all of our successes in doing so, right? And throughout all of that, Jesus promises his presence with us to the very end of the age, Matthew 28, 18 through 20, right? His timeless teaching, his spirit, his guidance, his wisdom, his discernment, his mercy, his love, his grace reside with us all the time, everywhere we go, which enables us to live out his purpose, to seek his glory among all peoples of the earth, to go and make disciples as we go through life. Fourthly, Jesus' presence with us means our presence in the world should... Uh, by the way, I've got these pants on that... You know when you put your hands in your pocket, your zipper... I've got one of those pairs of pants on, so if I'm playing with my zipper, I'm just a little nervous my zipper's going to come down. Got to explain these things. People think you're like, you know, fidgeting. <laughs> but, um, but fourthly, Jesus' presence with us means... <laughs> I totally lost you, but I'm sorry. Um, means our presence in the world, you know, our, our, our place in this world, our physicality in this world, and how we interact in relationship with people should make a meaningful difference to the lives of people around us. It should. It should. And that is why effort in our spiritual formation is so paramount. That we have to do this. We have to work at it. Given the Holy, you know, we're giving the Holy Spirit, you know, every opportunity to build into us for the sake of his purpose. So do you show up to church, right? It's not, it, I mean, it's not just like, oh gosh, you know, I need you here to put some money in the box. That's not it. 
We're here to grow together in the Lord. We're here to be challenged, to challenge each other, to sharpen each other. Do you go to a community group? If you don't, I would urge you to. Do you pray? Do you, do you have your own quiet time and all that stuff? You know, if you're, if you're not signed up for, for the men's or women's retreat, I, th- I really do think that you're missing out on a wonderful opportunity. I really do. This is 2019. We only have one retreat in 2019. And I guarantee you, past years, everybody feels that they, they, they don't regret going to those retreats. God does something. You have to give the Holy Spirit a chance to speak into your life. You have to engage, right? I'm not trying to make you feel guilty if you have a legitimate excuse. But man, if you can get there, get there. This is, these are the important times. This is, this is your opportunity to grow in discipleship and the influence of others along the way, right? So it's important for us as believers in Christ to seek holiness and purity due to our purpose of glorifying Jesus in the world and fulfilling his purposes to see all peoples know him. Your life matters, right? We are ambassadors of Christ. We are representatives. We are keepers of the keys of the kingdom. It said, we talked about last week, we are the body of Christ on earth. And the question is, are we the fragrance of God or do we just repel people, right? That is illustrated in 2 Corinthians 2. But thanks be to God who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession and uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. That, that is an image, by the way, of captives being led through the streets of a kingdom where a conquering king is returning home and he burns incense in front of his captives to let everybody know he's, he's got his, you know, his captives in front of him. So it's an image of us as captives of Christ led through the streets of the world that Jesus pushes us out and leads us along these streets. We're identified with him and everywhere we go along the way, we are spreading the fragrance of Christ, sacrifice for all peoples in our submission to him. That's the image. So do we live lives that are antithetical to the gospel? Antithetical to the heart of Christ, reflecting commitment and love to others? Your marriage is important. If you're married, it's important. How you interact with people is important. Right? Are you living lives that are antithetical to the unity of the body of Christ, the sacrificial servanthood of Jesus? You know, do you just not care? Or... Are you, are you an arrogant Bible thumper, right? Operating out of pride, just, you know, making people mad left and right. Or are we people of humility, right? Humble people, fully given over to Christ, non-judgmental since we are no better than anybody else, but also calling people higher up into the reaches of holiness and purity, which is reflective of God's character. It's a real balance, by the way. How we live and how we speak before others is key due to who we represent and our purpose of bringing Him glory and making disciples of all peoples, of others in our lives. So for the sake of uh, application, number one, we need to recognize 
that the gospel involves both proclamation and demonstration. I think I wrote that. Yeah, I, I should have said declaration and demonstration. There have been two Ds. That would have been real catchy. But anyway, proclamation and declaration, right? Or demonstration. See, the, the incarnation of Christ in the world suggests that God's word is validated through his coming. Validated through his death and his resurrection, his miracles, and in his presence in our ministry. Our ministry must be reflective of this full embodiment of Christ in our lives. We're, we are a people of peace, right? We are a people of peace sent out by Jesus to incarnate the life of Christ into our neighborhoods, into our relationships with other people, and our collective reach out into other parts of the world. A people fully given over to Christ in all ways. Like Moses, right? A few weeks back, making life decisions to follow God in purpose. Like Nehemiah, not being derailed by the temptations and the distractions of life in our purpose. Like Peter, a few, you know, last week I think it was, following Christ in obedience no matter the cost, unconcerned with what culture or individuals think of our obedience to Christ. We are concerned about what people think if we're doing, we're misrepresenting Jesus, but we're not concerned about what they think in our, in our full obedience to Christ. And now like John, right, we come to this realization of being filled with peace in order to be sent out, bearing Christ to others for the sake of God's glory and God's mission in the world. Willing to do God's work God's way. Both in proclamation and demonstration ambassadors of christ the only bible that somebody might ever read is me or you secondly god's church is privileged to participate in god's mission by invitation and through delegation right in what ways though has the church changed this mission in ways that differ from god's original intent Do we rely only on clergy and missionaries to do the work, right? Do we recognize that we're all called to reveal Jesus' glory and to fulfill his purpose in this world? That we're all a gospel sacrifice given over to constant death for the sake of others to know him. That our lives and our words really do matter. Ephesians 5 addresses this to some level. It says, follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the ways of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering. There it is again, and sacrifice to God. But among you, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality. And that is not to say that I'm actually engaged in sexual immorality. It means a hint of it. If I'm doing anything in my life that somebody could misconstrue as sexual immorality, I cannot do that thing. So if I go up to my lake house and Lindley comes up, you were just in front of me, or <laughs> Lindley drives up, says she wants to spend the night, and I'm there alone. Lindley does not spend the night in my lake house alone with me, no matter if we're not doing anything wrong. There's a hint of sexual immorality. Do you understand that? 
or of any kind of impurity, he says, or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. There should be, nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking. That's a hard one, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. Verse 8, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Dig into the scripture, baby. Pray, ask him what pleases him, right? Dig in there. Find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. Verse 15. Be very careful then how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. And they are evil, aren't they? Not everything's, you know, gone to hell in a handbasket. But it's pretty evil out there. There's some crazy stuff going on, right? Thirdly, John 20.21 indicates that we are centered in God's living word in Christ and we are sent out to the world with Christ. That, so how, how do we address God, our gospel deficiency, right? And how do we rebalance our cultural expectations? Do we just swallow anything that comes down the cultural pipeline? Just wrap our lips around the pipe and swallow it all. Just let them... Like, like, you know, the, what is that? The shotgun thing with beer, right? Just let it just pour into me, right? Without a thought. No, we don't do that. We are believers. Do we me- measure everything, anything and everything against God's word, matching anything and everything to the created order which we see revealed in the scriptures? It's a great book back in the back there, and I think every Christian should read it, called Love Thy Body by Nancy Piercy. I think everybody should read that book. It's one of the books that addresses all the hot issues that we face today, looking at it from a Christian worldview, speaking through a Christian, uh, a created order mindset. And I think it's a great book. Do we fill ourselves with the Word of God daily? Do we actually prepare ourselves to give an answer <laughs> to, the, to the faith and the hope that we have, as, as the Scriptures call us to? Do we address those things in us that are so offensive to the life of Christ in us, sacrificing them at the altar in order to be of use to our King? Do I actually give up those things that I really don't want to give up? Believe me, I know how hard that is. I struggle with these things. I'm not you know, sitting here saying, I'm all perfect. We all know we battle with these things, but we need to keep moving ahead. I'd leave you with a few challenges today. Firstly, what does the peace of, of Jesus look like in the context of being sent to the nations? You know, collectively, we support various missionaries and works going on around the world, cross-culturally, in Syria, Lebanon, Morocco, and places like, places like that. Uh, Indonesia, things like that. Uh, do you pray for those things? Do you, are you willing to support those things financially or go on a short term or whatever? Take Kara out to dinner after she's had her baby. She's having a baby pretty soon. Is she here today? No, I don't think so. Maybe she's having her baby right now. But anyway, she's going to have a baby, so let her get used to that. But maybe you can take her out to dinner after that because she's head of our mission system. Let her, let her bend your ear about like what we're doing out there in the world, right? But also here in our daily lives, in what we're doing, each one of us individually, in what ways have you experienced God's peace and his presence at work in your life? Do you share that? Do you recognize the opportunities before you with people? Do you take a risk stepping out in faith 
to share the life of Christ with somebody else. I know that some of it, that, that makes some of us want to have a bird. Take baby steps. Get used to it. Secondly, have you, uh, how have you compromised the gospel by your tendency to, to usurp the missio Dei, the mission of God, and turn it into the missio me, right? My mission, my purpose, my American dream, right? Are you more concerned about making your first million or being comfortable or doing what you want to do in life rather than asking God what he would have your life be about? What he wants you to be doing? What he wants you to be, be spending your time in? Or the direction of your life that he wants you to go in? Are you willing to be uncomfortable and live in risk for the gospel to be advanced and bring glory to Christ? And thirdly, what does sentness look like, practically look like for you? Uh, to whom are you sent? To where are you sent? Where are your circles of influence? This week in our community groups, we use this sheet, which there's a bunch over here if you want to grab one. And it's just a sheet that lets you know how to write your testimony out, right? Uh, what my life was like before Christ, how I came to Christ, what my life is like after Christ. And we're go- our goal is to write that out no, no more than three minutes long. A minute, a paragraph, right? With scripture to back up our, our story and, and just to practice that. Not that it would be a rote activity and devoid of any life, but actually so that we would be practicing sharing our faith so that we can easily give an answer to the hope that we have in Christ when we're, we're presented with that opportunity, right? And then, so grab one of those sheets if you want one, but then we all wrote down three people that we're praying for that we want to have a divine opportunity that God would place in our path with these people to share the gospel with them. So maybe you can do the same. Because Jesus said, peace to you as the Father has sent me, so I send you. I also send you. Right? We are a sent people in the purpose of God to bring glory to Christ among the nations. And the gospel calls us to both proclamation and demonstration. It's our story to tell. And it matters how we live. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your presence here this morning. We thank you for your presence in our ministries across the board, in our lives across the board. We know that some people are sitting here this morning feeling like they can't even hear your voice. Some people are feeling very excited about hearing your voice and everything in between. We just ask that we would hold on to your promises of who we are in you. That we would hold on to that resurrection and what it means. That we would be able to own 1 Corinthians uh, 15. And that story there where we realize that you died on that cross and you rose from the the grave for our sin to conquer sin and death in this world and that you're calling us out to unload that wonderful story onto other people both in how we live and what we say. We pray that you would make us humble people, loving people, caring people, people that actually stand for truth, the people that actually want to see your glory among all nations of the earth. Come and lead us in this procession. Let us be that sacrifice for the world.